going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, friends. Hope all is well with you and yours. Thanks so much for taking time to listen to the weekly wrap-up of Calgary Today on 770 CHQR here in podcast form. We are taking a listen to some of your favorite chats from the past week. This time around, we chatted with the Business Council of Alberta about how the roller coaster ride in the markets is affecting the province's budget and the energy industry. We also chatted with NDP leader Rachel Notley about the need to eventually talk about our economic future in a nonpartisan tone. And respected sports broadcaster Grant Pollock joined us for his insight following the death of Ken King. But we open up this week with the big story, COVID-19 or the coronavirus. A lot has been made about what health officials are saying. So we were joined by Dr. Guido Van Marl at the University of Calgary's O'Brien Institute for Public Health to talk about what you can do above and beyond washing your hands for your family, your friends, your business, and your school. This is the new Calgary Today podcast. Dr. Guido Van Marl with the University of Calgary. And doctor, let's start off with, is there anything above and beyond people should be doing uh, aside from washing your hands? I mean, there's probably some easy stuff like don't pick your nose, but anything beyond that? Well, uh, so yeah, it's it's like you said, like don't pick your nose and, you know, just pay a little bit more attention to your regular habits. Like washing hands to get rid of any pathogens or bacteria is a good common procedure. And instead of just sticking, you know, put some soap on, sticking them under, and then rinse it off and you're gone. No, you really have to, you know, pay a bit more attention to that. Really wash them thoroughly so that you get the things that are on your hand off your hands really carefully. It even goes on, like from we're talking about viruses and bacteria, how to get them off your hands, but or let's say you're also painting stuff or cleaning supplies or you have some chemicals on your hand, you have to wash them off really carefully to get it all off. Same principle applies. So when you're doing things that go about your daily business, pay a bit more attention to washing your hands thoroughly, uh, you know, get the soaps nice between the fingers, fingertips, etc. Do it a little bit more religiously like you would see people do it, uh, like in the ORs when you see it on the TV and those wonderful TV shows, mm-hmm. although they're not always, you know, close <laughs> to reality. But those are some things. So pay a bit more attention also about your daily business from... Where do I stick my hands? What do I do? How do I, you know, uh, go about it without being paranoid, but mm-hmm. be a bit more cautious and thinking about what you're doing so that you get rid of this, uh, the automaton move. Like from when we work in laboratories, we're really so trained on paying attention, paying a little bit more, you know, taking it slower. But okay, where, where, where do I stick my hands? What do I do? And clean the surfaces that you're... Uh, you know, that are commonly touched by people. So watch your own behavior. Pay a little bit more attention to your own behavior. How often is often enough in your eyes? How often is often enough? So that would be sort of, that depends on your activities too. 
So if you're just sitting there, you don't touch anything, then you don't have to wash your hands every single It is based also on the activities that you do. So if you wear gloves before you put the gloves on and stuff like that, for like if you do food prep or something, really wash them very carefully, then stick them uh, in the gloves and then make sure that the gloves only touch the things that are clean and not dirty because then it doesn't matter if you wash your hands you don't want to contaminate your gloves for instance if you're working with that but also when you're in your it's same as like you do in your kitchen you're cutting your meats yeah we always talk about from food hygiene mm. cutting your meats as soon as you're done with that don't touch anything else clean your th- clean your hands clean the surfaces that you're on before you move on to the next activity and so th- so it depends on those activities so if you're doing something that's dirty uh, between brackets, I would say, uh, but then uh, then it's time to wash your hands thoroughly after, so do it before you on your uh, next activity. I had a good laugh over this one on Facebook, but I think it holds true. Pretend you get an itch in your eye as you're cutting up jalapenos. That's the kind of thing we're talking about when we're talking about thorough, right? Yeah, that's 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 in a sense too. When I said from doing chemicals, let's say you paint, mm-hmm. if you get paint on your hands, you're not going to stick it on your face. Because you're going to have paint on your face. Mm-hmm. If, if it's, uh, let's say it's all toxic free paint, even then, it's, you don't want to have that happen. You wash them first or before you touch anything around the house. And that's sort of things that you, you could do in a sense. Like people have done it with like glitters. You have glitter on your hands. And and then sort of see from how many times do I touch my face? What what are the areas that I touch most often? So that would be door handles, cleaning that, or some of the surfaces that you work on, especially nice, clean, flat surfaces. Plastic surfaces or metal surfaces are easy to clean with uh, good chemicals and and you know and stuff like that. things that are porous. That, of course, requires more rigorous screening because you need to get into the little holes and surfaces on that. So that's that's things to think about, too. So, yes, like you said, it's like don't touch your eyes when you just cut jalapenos. And that is the same with, you know, uh, with, with, you know, infectious agents, etc. And we've talked a lot about the personal responsibility side, doctor. Wanted to get into the business side of things. I know a lot of retailers, a lot of grocery stores have taken the, those extra steps, those extra precautions. Do you have any tips for businesses who are dealing with the, their consumers and customers on a day-to-day basis? The public health agencies have very good information about that, what kind of service and what kind of decontaminants you need to use, too. Eh? So, uh, uh, But that would be, uh, you know, high traffic areas where a lot of people come where that should specific and particular activities where people will touch certain things. Uh, you know the you know door handles, doorknobs, uh, you know the counters, the cash registers. You know, make sure that you clean those things thoroughly. Especially where a lot of people, you know, if you have a counter where people probably by accident or you know not by accident by by habit just lean their hands on make sure that you clean those etc too and so that made also when you do certain things watch where your hands are going also as staff from you know if um when you say okay in cases like this maybe don't shake each other's hands maybe uh, 
keep a little bit of sort of like the distance mm-hmm. in that regard. So that's some of them are very very simple and very low tech, uh, and but just be a little bit more aware of what you're doing. Like I always call it like what the same as what you said with the cooking. It's like the way we work in the lab when we doing these things because we're doing infectious diseases or like for diagnostic the way we do it is to there are certain things that you just don't know but it doesn't mean that we're like running around paranoid we mm-hmm. just are cautious thinking a little bit about it okay i can't do this i can't oh i can't touch this because my gloves or hands are dirty or that is a dirty uh, thing or a contaminated thing i will have to take precaution, be, clean it in a different way or clean it first or decontaminate it before I move it somewhere else. So those are some of the things. Same as you would work in your kitchen. I always liken schools to germ factories. It's a loving joke, but at the mm-hmm. same time, there is that aspect of it. Kids can be a little messy. And so for parents out there who are listening, what kinds of things should they be keeping in mind for their kids? Should they be arming them with a little extra hand sanitizer as an example, or is it just a matter of making sure that they're informed as well? well well, it's it's both things. So make sure that they are informed, and that's with young kids probably a little bit hard. I will, uh, uh, you know, I can imagine mm-hmm. that. But it's certain things that even uh, you you remember maybe as a kid, it's like when when your parents, especially if you had older parents who knew about some of the older outbreaks that were mm-hmm. like, oh, you have to clean everything yeah? and wash your hands, wash your hands. So wash your hands when you go to the bathrooms. Uh, don't stick things. In your mouths and things like a very simple things to do too and yes it's the germ factories because they have a cold we all know that you come home and you get it and most of us of course that goes by easily but you can reduce your uh, your chances quite considerably by some simple interactions without getting paranoid i would tell you but just uh, think about it uh, be uh, uh, sort of, uh, let's say, conscientious about it, and and you know, and think about, oh, did I wash my hands? Did I maybe then wash your hands just to be on the safe side? Absolutely, yeah. some great tips there, Doctor Van Marl. Thanks so much for the time this afternoon. Okay, thank you, and uh, good luck for the rest of the day. Uh, He's been diving into the numbers a little bit, crunching them, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. He is the chief economist for uh, the Business Council of Alberta. Mike Holden joining us here on the program. And Mike, as you've been going through all these numbers and trying to digest it all, has there been a conclusion you've been able to reach? No, I I think it's too too early to come to a conclusion other than, as you just described it, you know, this is a a convergence of a whole series of bad news events that have, um, that are all outside of Alberta's direct control. And, you know, whether it's backing out of, um, or tech, tech backing out of its resource mine, uh, rail blockades, COVID-19, oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. You know, there's this whole range of, of issues that, uh, you know, prior to that, we had expected the Alberta economy to recover a bit in 2020, maybe grow by about two or two and a half percent compared to about half a percent last year. And it looks like, uh, you know, all those predictions are out the window. And right now we're just kind of waiting to see, waiting to see what happens next. Is there any indication on the actual impact of this or is that even still too early to tell? No, I think it's too early to tell right now. I mean, we know the kinds of impacts that we'll be expecting, obviously, you know, with oil prices falling as far as they have. We don't know how long they're going to stay that low, but it will impact on production. It'll impact on companies will start to uh, delay or scale back some of their capital investments. 
activity. It's going to have, you know, in the COVID-19 impact on the global economy will have an impact on a whole series of industries and businesses across Alberta. And, uh, you know, we're still at the very beginning stages of that process, and we don't really know what's going to happen next. And it's really one of those things, like, you can talk about the provincial standpoint, you can talk about the federal standpoint, but when you have companies like Synovus, for example, already saying, listen, we're going to scale things back for the time being, I mean, that that makes that uh, curve that much steeper to try to climb to reach some of the expectations that we did have. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, and, and we see that already in, you know, uh, Premier Kenny with his, with his address yesterday, and I think our expectations for what's going to happen with the provincial budget, uh, again, you know, the budget was only two weeks old, but it's already, uh, I think, all of the assumptions that underpinned the numbers in there have all been thrown out the window, um, again, through no fault of anybody who's here within Alberta, but, you know, we're not going to, oil's not going to average $58 a barrel like the government expected, the economy's not going to grow as quickly as it expected, and that's going to have a big impact on the province's bottom line. How do we get out of this outside of, you know, having everything return back to normal, I suppose. But is, is there is there something that might be a bit of a bellwether that'll be able to maybe kickstart the, the positive feelings again, I guess? Uh, well, there there are a few things that I think can happen. I mean, this is a, like I said at the beginning, this is a, you know, the, the first stage of a, of um of this crisis and we don't really know how long it's going to last or what uh what form it'll end up taking at the end of the day but you know there are at moments like this in the past like the 2008-2009 financial crisis when that hit um there was a, a significant amount of stimulus spending that went into the economy um that's that, that kind of thing is an option what, what i think is probably not an option is uh, and i think the, the province recognizes this is um this is not the time to be increasing taxes or adding a whole bunch of new spending cuts in order to preserve um, preserve the deficit at the level that it's forecast to be at. I think this is, if there's ever a time for for uh, you know additional government spending and and large deficits, this is probably it. And that's just to help keep the economy going, help keep businesses afloat. And uh, you know, I think that uh, there's a role for the federal government to play here too, whether it's through reforms to the fiscal stabilization fund that the premier has been uh, talking about repeatedly, or assisting the province with special aid, or you know, uh, coming up with new infrastructure projects or green tech investments in Alberta. There, there are a lot of opportunities in the short term, and I think that that's the focus really has to be on getting us over this hurdle. How closely should we be watching what's going on stateside as well? I know it's the competition isn't the name of the game right now, but at the same time, you still need to be able to kind of uh, go tit for tat. Um, yeah, I mean, it's we always have to watch what's, what's happening in the U.S. for a whole range of reasons. One is they're the close. I mean, if you're talking about COVID-19 specifically, then, you know, there are a lot of... Uh, you know, family and personal connections and business connections across the border. Um, when it comes to oil production, you know, it's uh, there's the U.S. Is, is the world's largest oil producer, and they're the ones that are being targeted by this uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia battle, um, mm-hmm. trying to preserve market share from the U.S. So, uh, you know, there there are a whole, whole in a whole range of factors there. We always have to be mindful of what's happening in the U.S. because they're they're our largest trading partner, their closest friend, and whatever um, whatever happens there tends to tends to happen here as well. Is there something to be said, especially from a business perspective and productivity, to make sure businesses are paying attention to what their employees are saying as well? Because the minute that you start to feel like you're being forgotten, your production is going to go down and and that's going to have an unexpected trickle down effect. Yeah, I think the businesses are, are I mean, they're, they're quite concerned in Alberta. I mean, our, our member businesses are about the welfare of their of their workers. They want their workers to be happy and healthy and productive. And I think that that's, it's critical to everybody's success. And it's critical to our long-term prosperity. We've got, uh, you know, we want 
in order for Alberta to be the place that we all wanted to be, we need the people um, firing on all cylinders, we need businesses being as productive as they can be, and 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 you know those it's it's critical that we all work together to help get through this. What do you think the main message should be to the uh, to not only Albertans but also government as as business tries to kind of meander through the waters of what we've been facing over the last little while here? Well, I think that we need this is this is a time where we need um, support from from governments for sure. This is these are as I said before, these are circumstances that are that were unpredictable, unforeseeable, and beyond anybody's control. And you know, at the end of the day, we're all in this together. Whether it's government, uh, employers, employees, families, people, you know, we're it's a crisis that we're all facing and sharing um, at the same time. And uh, it's it's incumbent on us to to work together and cooperate and find ways through it. Mike, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Joining us now is NDP leader Rachel Notley. And Ms. Notley, I want to ask right off the bat, have you gotten a call from uh, the Premier, Jason Kenney? <laughs> no, I, I haven't. Uh, last I heard, he did, uh, or I sent a letter uh, to him uh, late yesterday, um, and I believe they've received it. But uh, as far as I know, there's been we have not heard from them since. Um, but um, yes, unfortunately, it does appear as though uh, neither the all party committee nor the uh, a request to have them withdraw the budget so that it has some facsimile to reality uh, have been um, have been acted on. In your eyes, what would this all party committee look like? Well, I mean, honestly, I think that probably the best way to go about it would be for them to literally withdraw the budget. Um, and then we talk about sort of the key places where it should change, and then it's it's resubmitted. Um, and the reason I say that is because, you know, as, as you will have heard me say, uh, quite frankly, the budget uh, that was delivered pre-coronavirus, pre-OPEC uh, dispute, um, was already fictional. The projections that were relied upon in January uh, just just weren't realistic. Um, and so they left us as a province very vulnerable to any kind of uh, significant event. And then, of course, now we've had two. And uh, so now we're at a point where, where the budget is anywhere from, from about 10 to $15 billion off. And that doesn't include the need to do things like uh, spend appropriately to treat people uh, for a potential pandemic, uh, nor the issue of putting together an economic stimulus plan. And so because of that, because we're we're looking at a budget that is just disconnected from reality. What that means is that the, uh, this government is going to spend outside of what the budget says. And and so what that means then is that we don't have a blueprint that has been subject to the, the normal level of transparency and accountability that the law requires of an annual budget that's presented by the government. And that's why we need to go back to the drawing board and get it right. And so if we had a committee where we were all working together, we could actually ask the questions of the experts and all be working from uh, a similar set of facts, which, you know, would be kind of unique uh, under this government, but uh, also would be very helpful, particularly in this case, given the the depth and the breadth of the challenges that, that all of Alberta faces. You were the premier. Why is it that every government seems to overshoot the landing on the price of oil and instead of being truly conservative and say $20 a barrel, say, and then everything else above that is gravy. Well, actually, it, it was a, a 
something what our government actually did was we um, actually did use very conservative assumptions. So if you go back over uh, the budgets that we uh, introduced and the budgets that we delivered, uh, we uh, I think there was one time where we came in a couple hundred million dollars above what we had said, and then other than that, we were always well below uh, because we worked in very large contingencies and we tended to take uh, lower ranges of of estimates for both. Um, growth as well as um, uh, the price of oil. But um, what we did in 2016, which was, of course, you know, we saw the price of oil drop down to $26 a barrel in Mm -hmm. 2016, is we introduced the budget in April. So we've gotten updated projections before we went into the House with the budget. And it was a tough budget. I mean, it was a, we, we, the deficit was, was large. I mean, nobody was happy about that. But we invested in economic stimulation. We, we invested in ensuring that, that, you know, we sort of had Albertans backs and that we focused on diversification. And uh, and then the following year, of course, the deficit started to come down. Uh, but at least everyone knew what we were working with. What's going on here now is, is, is there's just no connection between the projections of this government or the plans that they will have to take forward at this point. Going back to the all-party committee idea for a second, could we even really get there given how ideologically different these two parties are? Well, you know, it's a good question. I mean, I think there are, there are some things that uh, we agree on. I mean, we both agree on things to ask the federal government for, or not all of them, but some of them. Uh, and I agree, appreciate that's always a good place to start when you're trying to get people to agree on something. Mm-hmm. But uh, we also agree, for instance, that a PST is not uh, the right choice right now. Um, so, I mean, I think there's agreement there. Uh, uh, the Premier has recently moved away from his idea that he will keep cutting um, uh, right now and that maybe he understands there needs to be some economic stimulus. So maybe there is some room for agreement, for agreement there. I mean, we've spent a lot of time investing in economic stimulus. Uh, and then I think uh, on the other fronts, I mean, frankly, I think the more uh, conversation and access to good information that we can have, maybe we, we can uh, also generate other good ideas. I mean, let's face it, we must make progress on diversifying the economy in this province. We must, we must we must. We had programs in place that, that people who are not classic supporters of the NDP uh, clearly stated were working and were, were indications of us starting, upon, starting in the right direction. And then those programs were cut. And, and I think that uh, we need to get back to this issue of how we diversify our economy um, because that's how we protect ourselves in the long term from the kind of uh, uncertainty that everybody's feeling today. Our guest openly called yesterday saying we need to bring back the budget. We need to redraw up this budget. NDP leader Rachel Notley joining us here on the program. I'm curious if you were in power right now, would you take back your own budget? I would. I probably wouldn't have introduced it. These folks, I mean, listen, uh, Finance Minister Taves admitted as much a few days later that he felt that he, quote, felt like Rome was burning behind him as he read out his budget. He knew that this that it was it was wrong that it was that it was not accurate uh and and what i would have done was i would have said we need to uh, retool and we will come back with something that's geared uh to deal with what we're dealing with now what would that look like in your eyes well, I think there's a few things. I mean, it won't surprise you, of course, to hear me say that uh, now is not the time uh, to be handing over billions of dollars to profitable corporations. And bear in mind, 
uh, those corporations that were very profitable maybe two weeks ago and now are very worried about whether they'll have any profits at all, uh, those corporations are not the ones I'm talking about. But the ones, they, when you are profitable, that's when you pay the corporate tax. And so actually reducing that even further, that costs the Treasury, and now is not the time to be doing that. Um, I also think that uh, we we absolutely have to look at uh, stimulus pro- uh, programs, um, and uh, I think that uh, we also have to reconsider the approach taken to the healthcare budget uh, because I think it's very obvious that that uh, now is not the time to be cutting nurses or cutting uh, hospital budgets um, and ER budgets um, based on what we see coming down the line. Uh, so those are a few things that I would do differently, and. Yet yeah, it does mean that the deficit would be bigger, but you know what? I think Albertans need to know what they're dealing with and then have an honest conversation about how to go forward with it. Was that maybe a non-starter from the get-go? Was the idea of balance by 2022, 2023, all for, hey, we can do that before the next uh, election? Well, certainly that's my view. I mean, when we were in government, uh, it was certainly our view that uh, we were going to balance the budget a year later then uh, Jason Kenney said he could balance the budget. And we said we were going to balance the budget a year, la- a year later uh, without giving away $4.7 billion uh, for, or more, because it would have been a year later would have been a bigger amount um, uh, to large profitable corporations when we already have a, the lowest taxes in the country. Um, and so um, I, I always thought that that was aggressive. I always knew that that was going to mean that, that municipalities were going to get more, which means that uh, people in Alberta were going to pay more in property tax. They were going to pay more in school fees. They were going to pay more in tuition. Uh, they were going to pay more in electricity rates. They were going to pay more in uh, in uh, prescription drugs. These are all things we talked about during the election and we were accused of fear and smear. But now we know that that's, that's exactly what's happening to Albertans across the province. Ms. Nodley, I appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. Grant Pollock, a renowned Calgary sportscaster, joining us here on the program now. And, and Grant, give us a, a bit of your insights into the man known as Ken King. Well, he was uh, he was a big man, of course, not just in stature, but in uh, his presentation. You know, um, a lot of guys who I work with, a lot of my colleagues in the business had trouble with Ken. Um, my colleagues in the uh, newspaper business, I mean, Ken was a true leader. He ruled with an iron fist behind closed doors. And, uh, you know, that often is a a tough way for some people to handle. And uh, I think a lot of people I know in the business uh, felt that, uh, especially when... Um, you know, the Calgary Herald was going through tough times and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that, you know, with good leaders, they make tough decisions. They do it their way. So the Ken King behind closed doors, I never came in contact with, but I heard the stories that he got things done, but he was pretty ruthless sometimes. He was a big man, a large man, big voice. The Ken King that I knew, Joe, um, in my dealings, with the Calgary Flames and meeting him on camera, off camera, was a very interesting man. 
Mm-hmm. I always enjoyed my conversations with Ken. He gave me great insight. Some things off the record, some things on the record. But I had a lot of respect for the man on on how he presented himself and what he was trying to do. Um, I, 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 there aren't many leaders like him um, in that respect. You never get. You never had to guess where you stood with Ken. He was very straightforward to the point and made sure uh, everybody knew where he was going and what he thought. Yeah, that's very true. Um, that's very true. He was... Um and he was very eloquent in his presentation mm-hmm. in letting people know. I mean, he had a great command of English language. So when you heard him speak, I was always impressed with how he presented that point of view. And it was very clear um, because of his physical stature and his uh, his uh, expertise with the English language. I don't think I think people were intimidated by him a little bit, too. Absolutely. And, you know, he was a strong man, but I I had. <laughs> I don't know why, but I was able to talk to him in like a not on camera by just sitting down mm-hmm. and presenting a different point of view, and we would discuss it. So I was never overly intimidated by him in that respect. But um, I knew when he would look at you and say things that he meant business. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were times when I thought um, in the mid two thousands that he was too strong of a presence. And I mentioned that to him one time, that um, why are you so visible? Why are you always in the dressing room after games? You're the president. Shouldn't coaches coach, players play uh, that cliche? Mm-hmm. And that you should be. And we had a good discussion about that because I truly felt he was too visible. And we had uh, a good point of view. But in many respects, Joe, I don't know how you feel. We all knew in this city who was running the flames, who was the boss. Ken King, in many respects, was the face of the Flames franchise, wasn't he? And Absolutely. Then it, it grew beyond that to Calgary Sports. When they bought the Stamps, they had the Hitmen, they had the Roughnecks, and they're trying to get a new arena. Ken King was the voice and the, and, and the strong leader, like it or not of the Flames organization and, and of course, Stamps and Hitmen and Roughnecks. Absolutely, and he was never missing a game either, whether it was on the sidelines at McMahon or whether he was in one of the suites or just kind of checking out with fans at Hitmen or Roughnecks or whatever. He was a very visible feature. Grant, I appreciate your time this afternoon. Thanks, Joe. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us during the week. And thanks to you for downloading and listening. Make sure to subscribe to get a new episode each week and leave us a rating and review to help spread the word. Until next week, thanks again for checking out the Calgary Today podcast.